computer. Okay. Thanks for that reminder, Amy. All right. So I wanted, can you see this second slide? Is it showing? All right. Okay. And I wanted to just real quickly present again the titles of what we will be having the webinars on. Last week's was Poultry Expansion 101 Facts, and that particular recording is available um, on our Poultry Extension webpage, Animal Science webpage. And then we're going to proceed to go through the following topics over the next two months. And if there's topics that anybody wants to suggest that are not covered within this um, schedule, we can certainly look at adding them as we proceed to address this particular issue. Real quickly, also our poultry interest team members. Uh, we are co-led by myself and Don Reynolds. And then we have a really good interdisciplinary representation from several departments. And would love to add an ad ag economist, Austin, if that's at all possible. But obviously, most of you should be familiar with many of these faculty because they are extension specialists, but some are relatively new to our group and interest, including Eleanor Rogan from UNMC, who's interested in human health implications of livestock production, and Crystal Powers with the Nebraska Water Center, Mamie mostly um, has worked in extension within animal science. Dr. Ron Lewis is a geneticist, so he may not be interested at this end of the expansion discussion, but certainly may have an interest in some of our research. So if you can think of anybody who would be also interested in being part of our team, please suggest their name to us. Um, we're not exclusive. We want to be as inclusive as possible. So I'm going to stop there on my share and go ahead and Amy, bring it over to you and you can begin. Okay, thank you, Sheila. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and get this into presentation mode here. Okay. So is everyone seeing the slide, um, the interest slide here? Mm -hmm. Okay, great. So um, I appreciate the chance to, to present today. And um, my name's Amy Schmidt. I'm an associate professor in uh, biological systems engineering and animal science. And the topic I'm gonna cover is um, kind of going through what is the process for launching a new operation. And it's a similar process for um, any livestock or poultry system, but I wanna talk specifically about the um, Costco and Lincoln premium poultry process, since that's what, um, what we're uh, all working with here in the state right now. Amy, so, uh, yes. could I interrupt? Uh, we're seeing your um, view of the future slides is kind of oh, okay. well as a smaller version of the current um, slide. Okay, give me just a second to share my other not sure why it did that um, is that showing it now yes thank you okay. 
Perfect. Sorry Thank to you. interrupt. No, no problem. Um, so I have four goals for um, for this webinar today. I want to um, define the necessary regulatory steps um, for a person who is seeking to be issued a state operating permit for growing poultry um, using a dry manure handling system, which is what um, the Lincoln Premium Poultry Growers will be using. <clears throat> I want to define the process for becoming a grower for Lincoln Premium Poultry in Costco, which is, um, again, very specific to their, their process and their operation of, of contracting with a grower. Um, then I want to talk about some questions that may be posed to educators that um, we have resource, resources available to address, but, but maybe would necessitate additional resources. And my hope um, is that if folks are watching this at a later time, you can share those questions with myself and um, Rick Kelsch, Rick Stoll, that you receive that maybe we don't talk about today so that we can um, help come up with the resources necessary that, to allow you to address those questions. And uh, of course, I want to describe some of the existing resources that we have available that um, will help educators engage with both the growers and the community members around them um, to answer the questions that they might have about how these new systems um, get established. <clears throat> so I want to kind of go through a process and timeline for starting a new operation. And, and the first step there is is reaching out to Lincoln, Lincoln Premium Poultry. Um, this information was provided to me by Willow Hallebeck, who is, uh, used to be with AFAN, now she's with Lincoln Premium Poultry. And uh, their first step is to contact Willow and complete an application uh, indicating you know, the type of system that you want to, um, want to establish and, and grow uh, chickens for them. And I've included her contact information here at the bottom of the screen. Um, once you've filled out that application and they've, you know, identified you as someone who um, is serious about growing chickens for them, they want to see you start working to identify a lender because before they can go forward with a contract, um, they need to see a pre-approval letter uh, from a lender showing that, that you can receive financing for the operation. Once they've done that, um, then they want to see the preferred sites that you have in mind. So if there's a single place you have in mind, um, they'll want to see a map of that. Um, if there's multiple locations, that's fine as well. Typically, it's, it's a good idea to have multiple sites in mind, um, as we'll talk later about siting and, and what are some of the characteristics of a, a good or a better site for uh, livestock production. Um, once they have those maps, then Emily Skillet, uh, who works with them, also used to be with AFAN, so you may rec recognize her name from there. Um, she goes through and takes that map or, or multiple maps of sites that the producer has in mind, and she'll map out the county um, setbacks and the Lincoln Premium Poultry setbacks to make sure that um, that operation is, is located in a place that it's it's meeting all of those setback requirements from neighbors and um, other sensitive areas. <clears throat> so once they have, have ensured that the site meets that minimum requirement of, of the setbacks, the Lincoln Premium Poultry Reps will come out and do an initial site evaluation. Um, they'll you know, visit multiple sites if, if the producer has multiple sites in mind. They'll try to identify what they think is um, the best site. Um, the best location within a particular farm. And um, 
and then they'll go back to uh, to their company and discuss with um, other folks, decide what the final um, final site should look like, and then they'll do a final visit to that farm um, to talk with the producer and then either approve or deny that particular site. So at that time, the, the farmer then can start um, kind of start working with the contractor about some of those costs, what it's going to cost for dirt work and, and those sorts of things. Um, they're also responsible for um, doing their own due diligence to find out about utilities and how those, um, you know, what utilities are available to them, how they would get those um, arrangements made to have those hooked up. They need to look into building permits, uh, road permits uh, or driveway permits, internet and phone service, all of the um, the kind of accessory uh, characteristics of that site, the other things that they'll need in order to be able to build. Um, once they have gotten that final approval on lending, then they'll need to send that letter to Lincoln Premium Poultry, and then they'll work with uh, LPP to decide, you know, what kind of entity they're going to be. and um, and that's more on the business side of things, but uh, it's one of the steps in their process. So if we go back to the timeline, I kind of have it as this first, what I'm assuming is about 60 to 90 days of, I've made that initial contact with Lincoln Premium Poultry and uh, we've got a site picked out and I wanna go ahead starting that regulatory process. So, you know, that time can vary. Um, I would like to hope that it gets done much quicker than that, but but we'll say 60 to 90 just uh, as an estimate there. So once the the uh, Lincoln Premium Poultry folks have uh, approved of a site, then it's the um, the next step is to have the Department of Environmental Quality do a site inspection uh, of that proposed site. And so there's a form that needs to be submitted. Uh, it's called a site inspection request. And there's a $500 fee associated with that. Once that's submitted, um, uh, NDEQ has the regulation says that within thir about 30 days, they will um, contact that producer. I think they would, I think they're pretty quick to do those inspections. I don't think it's, it's more than 30 days to get that done. So, so they'll come out and do an inspection of that site. And then they have 30 days to um, complete the report based on their, um, their observations when they were out at that site. So at that point, um, we go back to kind of looking at the steps that Lincoln P Premium Poultry has in place. Once that site has been approved um, through the NDEQ, then they encourage the um, producer to start meeting with the contractor, kind of um, signing that construction contract, deciding when they want to begin building, um, and they'll get that letter of intent, um, uh, an interest payment letter from Lincoln Premium Poultry that kind of says, you're moving forward and you're serious about it, so we're moving forward and we're serious about it as well. Um, at that point then, they're gonna start, uh, they'll put the producer in contact with Andy Schulting. He's with uh, Nutrient Advisors out of West Point, and he's doing all of the nutrient management plans and um, kind of working with the site assessment and the, um, the uh, permit application. And so, he once he knows that site is approved and that, that that will move forward, then he'll begin working with the producer on that nutrient management plan. And Lincoln Premium Poultry also at that time requires that the uh, grower contact neighbors and let them know of their intent to build and they offer support to them for how to do that and um, 
in the conversations they, sh they should be having. <clears throat> so once um, Andy Schulting has completed the nutrient management plan and the additional um, paperwork that he's responsible for, then uh, the next step is to actually apply for those permits. So they're applying for a state construction and operating permit um, that's not required for dry manure handling systems. Um, from a regulatory sense, it's not required, but Lincoln Premium Poultry is requiring that of their growers as um, sort of a good faith showing to the community that they're going beyond the requirements um, of the state for their, for their growers. There's also a natural resource district water permit that Lincoln Premium Poultry helps um, the producer uh, apply for and, and receive. And then most counties require that conditional use permit, uh, which is um, on a county by county basis. And so they would, uh, they would be beginning that process as well. So if we go back to the timeline then, um, we've got that about 30 day period between when the inspection report is received and when I guess I would expect them to be ready to submit that NDEQ application. Now, if they've gone much quicker through the development of the nutrient management plan and all that could be shortened, but, um, but the next step then is to submit that application and uh, that includes a $250 fee to NDEQ. When NDEQ receives that, um, they have five days uh, to notify the NRD or NRDs that uh, the particular site lies within, and the county board or boards, if it, if it crosses county lines, uh, they have five days to notify them that they've received an application for um, a new poultry facility in that location. And then there's a 20-day comment period for the NRDs and the county boards to respond to the NDEQ. So after that five-day uh, notification, the 20-day comment period, that period ends and the next step is for the uh, NDEQ to actually review that application. The, the regulatory uh, documents give them 110 days to do that. I think they try to do it more quickly if they can. Uh, these operations that are going in are um, I would say kind of cookie cutter. So one grower facility is going to look like another and they're all going to be engineered and designed the same. So it's really the site that's, that probably takes the, um, uh, and then the nutrient management plan that, that they focus their review on. So anything that they need to come back to the producer for in that time frame can extend that, um, that 110 days. Uh, so it's, I think with these operations, they're, they're getting to the point probably where they have it, it very well streamlined and they, they're giving NDQ everything they need right up front. So once they have uh, reviewed that and, and if they intend to approve the permit, then the NDQ will uh, send out a notice of intent to approve and that goes into the newspapers and, and other local media uh, in the community where that operation would be located. And then there's a 30-day comment period for the public. <clears throat> um, after that 30-day comment period, then NDQ has 60 to 90 days to review those comments and make a decision. And if at that point they decide it's good to go, then they can issue or will issue the uh, construction and operating permit for the operation. So if we look over uh, the entire length of that timeline, I, I was counting it up earlier and it's coming out around a year. Um, 
in some of the situations that I've been involved with, I don't think that's out of, uh, out of the ordinary at all for it to take that long. I think Lincoln Premium Poultry probably has a goal of moving it along much more quickly than that. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know how quickly they've gotten some of theirs through, but um, it is, it's a fairly lengthy process. So um, <clears throat> once all that is done, the permit's been issued by uh, the state. There may be a public hearing at the county level. Most of them, I believe, have had public hearings, um, and that's usually a pretty contentious process for um, producer to go through, and Lincoln Premium Poultry is there to support that. Um, the producer then needs to confirm utility services, timeline for installation. They'll begin construction, and um, once construction's finished, there's a final building inspection by the Lincoln Permian Poultry team. Um, they sign the production agreement. There's some upfront um, incentives that are paid to the producer by Lincoln Premium Poultry. And then within a couple of weeks after that, they'll be placing birds on the site and uh, they'll begin growing poultry under contract with Lincoln, uh, Lincoln Premium Poultry. So I wanted to focus on a few of the questions that might be posed to educators. And like I said, my, my goal is to have some folks on the call who might be able to um, speak to some of the actual questions that they've received. So, so these are my assumptions. Um, but uh, like I said, if, if there's other questions folks are getting, our goal would be to hear those from you and try to develop some um, uh, resources that would help uh, with a response. Uh, so one of the most common ones I think um, they're going to hear is, will I smell the operation from where I live? Um, odors are a big uh, concern for neighbors. And that, you know, these folks, many have never lived around livestock production, certainly probably not been exposed to poultry production here in Nebraska. And so um, we do have a tool available that uh, I, I know that their Lincoln Premium Poultry is using when they do that site assessment for um, potential operations. And uh, it's the odor footprint tool. And that's, that tool is used to estimate the frequency of annoying odor events around um, existing or proposed livestock facilities. So it takes into account uh, wind direction, predominant uh, wind direction, wind speed at different times of the year. And then if you're overlaying that on a uh, uh, satellite image where you can see residences nearby, uh, it allows you to identify those areas um, where there's the least amount of risk of, uh, of those neighbors experiencing experiencing annoying odor events. One thing I caution educators is, is to never say, you'll never smell this operation. We all know that's not true, probably. It's difficult to say, you know, we get asked the question, how far do I need to be away from it to get, ensure that I'll never smell it? And there's just too many factors that impact that. So um, the question is, will the odor be um, occurring at a frequency that is, um, higher than it should be, or is it more uh, of an annoying odor, a stronger odor than, than we want it to be? So we want to try to minimize those uh, potential, um, the potential frequency and uh, concentration of odors. And so I put here at the bottom, Dr. Rick Stoll, who, who's on the call, um, developed this tool. And so he's able to uh, answer questions and, and um, provide more information about that tool. So another question that um, is probably uh, going to be thrown around is, is this operation going to pollute the water? 
um, groundwater, surface water, those are obviously very important resources and uh, it's another one of those areas that's it's a very targeted issue uh, when folks have concerns about a new operation. So um, a group of us that's been working in the livestock um, expansion area and trying to develop the uh, support tools that are needed for communities and, and producers to, um, to assess these types of things, we've kind of come up with three questions that we suggest asking um, to make sure that a, a site is positioned to protect water quality or that the operation is, is positioned to protect water quality. So the first one is, can I access sufficient land for utilization of manure nutrients produced by the birds? So pollution is going, you know, more likely to occur when there's over-application of nutrients, when, the, when manure is not contained appropriately, things like that. So um, this is addressed with the nutrient management plan that's part of the permit uh, for the construction and operating permit application. And uh, that's something that we can you know, offer more insight into what goes into that nutrient management plan, but but there is a an aspect of the regulation that is uh, that is looking at that that issue. Can I store manure safely? So again, I want to make sure that I've designed a system um, in which the manure is stored and not going to um, I'm not going to have a discharge from that storage. Uh, because it's not properly designed or stored. And again, in any permitted type operation uh, that requires a nutrient management plan, uh, that's addressed. And then the design of that storage um, should be certified by an engineer. Uh, and that's part of the construction and operating permit as well. So the the system for storing manure is, is within that um, uh, application as well. And then the third question is, can I safely dispose of mortalities? So in addition to the manure that's produced, another potential um, source of nutrient contamination to the environment would be um, any dead animals, any dead livestock that, are, um, that occur on the farm. And that's, that's a normal part of any operation. Even the very best are going to experience, you know, one or 2% death loss, uh, depending on the type of operation. So that mortality management plan is another required component of the nutrient management plan. The nutrients that are um, present in those animal carcasses, if they're not being taken off site for, for say, rendering, if they're composted or, or um, kept on the site, then those nutrients are being included in the nutrient management plan so that sufficient land is, um, they ensured that sufficient land is available for utilizing the nutrients um, from that disposal. Um, so this one is more from the producer's standpoint. Um, what can I do to demonstrate my commitment to farming responsibly? I think um, every industry, every um, you know, every industry that exists in the world has bad players that give the rest of the um, the folks that are following the rules um, kind of a bad rap. And you know, there's no difference. I think there are you know most farmers are wanting to do things responsibly. They live where they farm, they have a family there, they want to do things right. And um, and so there's a number of things that, that they can do to kind of take an extra step to show that um, they've considered all of the um, possible options that are out there to, to, um, to make sure that the operation they're building and the site they've selected is going to impact the environment and their neighbors minimally. So one of those is the uh, Nebraska Animal Feeding Operation Siting Matrix. 
that's available online and I'll, I'll get to a link here in a bit that will get, get you to all of these tools. Uh, this has not necessarily been adopted by all counties as a kind of checklist or scoring system for deciding if an operation is um, uh, acceptable uh, for that particular site, but it goes through a point system and if they've got a, um, a nutrient management plan, the mortality management plan, all of those things that are part of the permit application, they've pretty well covered, um, covered their bases with, um, with the main, main things that would be recommended for uh, managing nutrients and odors responsibly. Uh, there's also a site um, called Ag Site Planner, and I'll show the link for that in just a minute, but on there is a um, risk assessment tool that um, can be used to um, kind of assess the area around a particular uh, proposed or existing operation and look at what risks may exist from a water quality, air quality, social um, standpoint. The odor footprint tool, of course, is another one that we encourage them to um, to go through before meeting with their neighbors. And then uh, the land application trainings that the University of Nebraska offers, um, they're designed to help these folks um, make better decisions with land application of their manure. And so there's a number of resources that we encourage them to, to look at and to talk about um, with their neighbors and their community. So the last one I, I put up here, uh, why is Nebraska allowing factory farms instead of protecting family farms? This is a very common one as well. Um, if you're expecting me to give you a, a silver bullet answer for it, I'm not going to do that. I wish I had one, but this is a you know this is more of a, a philosophical question. And what I uh, usually you know I I know how I answer that, but it's not the same for everybody. And so there's some good resources out there that talk about the diversity of farms. What you know. I, there's really no good definition for family versus uh, a factory farm, but there's some good information out there that producers can use to talk about their operation and, you know, why it's still a factory farm to them. So I, I put that up there just as a, a resource for that particular um, type of question. So that's all I have. Um, I know I went over my 15 minutes um, a little bit there. I, I didn't go into details on some of the resources we have. Um, because that can take quite a bit of time, but this AgSite Planner website here, uh, agsiteplanner.unl.edu, you can find the odor footprint tool, um, critical questions to ask, um, the uh, regulatory guidance tool uh, that gets, gets you through uh, the step-by-step -step process for applying for a permit and, and provides links to those forms, um, and then the risk management tool that I mentioned, as well as the livestock development siting matrix, and other um, manure and nutrient management tools that are available from the um, UNL Animal Manure Management Team. And then I put my phone number, my email address up there. Um, I feel free to reach out directly if you have questions. And, and uh, like I said, our, our goal is to provide the resources that can help um, educators at the local level um, engage with the community and their farmers to answer the questions that are um, on their minds. So with that, um, Sheila, I'll open up for questions. I don't think we have a whole lot of folks on, but um, a question or two would be great. Mm -hmm. um, I have a... Amy, go ahead. Oh. Well, go ahead, Rick. Amy, this is Rick Stoll. Um, in the process of uh, DEQ, 
Do you know, are, uh, is Lincoln Premium Poultry uh, actually looking to get a permit for their operation? Or are they looking to get a letter of exemption? Well, um, my understanding is they're looking to actually get the state operating permit. Um, if, if you know differently, maybe you can share, but I, I believe they're requesting an actual permit. Um, that's, that's my understanding. That's my understanding as well, Amy. Okay. All right. I'd like to have a little bit more discussion about this factory farms versus family farms image that integrators bring to the state and some of the talking points that I've used in that discussion, talking about the shared risk. Um, these farms are owned by families. And, and I think we need to emphasize families are owning these farms. Their families are living there and it's on their land, but that it's a shared risk such that the integrator is providing resources for basically a joint venture. Um, and that's maybe hard. It seems like that's hard for the public to understand. They, don't understand why there's a hundred thousand birds at one location maybe and what right. type of talking points can we use to help explain why there's a hundred thousand birds at one location? so um, at a, a meeting I spoke at earlier this year I, I kind of used the um, I tried to create some some parallel with what most people would know and I, I talked about you know you have a local convenience store and gas station that supplies gasoline and um, convenient items at all hours of the day to the, the public and they don't own the Casey's Corporation or they don't own the Phillips 66 Corporation but they they distribute gasoline for that company and they have a risk associated with um, owning that operation and it's not only their family members that work there but they usually live in the community and they hire other people in the community and that operation, that, that business um, provides income to the community in the form of taxes and things like that. And so I tried to talk about it as, like you said, it's a, it's a way, you know, a person isn't going to go out and sell gasoline on their own anymore because, you know, those days of the small mom and pop places are gone. But when they have that supplier that's, that's, helping them and has a model for how they do it to be mm -hmm. economically successful um, it's kind of a similar situation and you wouldn't you know everybody likes that convenience there um, people may not like everything about it but they understand that particular model of how things work um, but I, I would like to come up with other um, you know similar type explanations mm -hmm. I think that's that's helpful to put it in that sort of a um, sort of a explanation or that sort of light. That's a good example. And uh, do others have ways that they address that that particular question with um, with folks? Amy, uh, this is Rick. Um, I asked my students in my class. Uh, to come up with an example like that. And they threw out several and they decided one way they would compare things was just do it on a strictly on a, a body mass, 
compared to other livestock operations that we're more familiar with. So uh, they figured out that I think it was 333 uh, birds would be equivalent to about one finished uh, finisher uh, that we're growing out. Uh, so a 40,000 or a 44,000 head, I think, if I remember right, it came out to like 135 beef finishers. So a four barn system would be, a, you know, a farm of, you know, roughly a little over 500 beef animals. So that comparison made them think, well, this isn't quite as large as I thought it was. Right. I mean, the, 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 I guess the research or the science-based answer that may not necessarily satisfy those asking the question is we produce things on a scale that is um, compatible with the system. So, you know, you talk about a pot load of pigs or a truckload of cattle going out and you're, you know, it's designed in a way that um, the efficiencies of, of scale and economics and operation are, are maximized. And, um, you know, that's, that's when we talk about with swine production is why 2,400 head and it has to do with the flow of the animals and the, the model that produces a full truckload of pigs going to, uh, to the processor and things like that. From the perspective of why are they, why can't they just grow these birds on their own? You know, there's, when, when I was a kid, my grandpa took a truckload of cattle or pigs to the, um, to the local sale barn, and then they got those from all around, and then they, that was enough to, you know, put on a truck and take to a processor, but that model is not really, uh, it's not really available anymore, and, and having that, like, like Sheila mentioned, the um, shared risk where you know that when these birds are grown or these pigs are grown, you know what you're going to get for them. You don't have to go out and market them yourself and find the supplier, the, the producer or uh, processor that's going to pay you the most money for them. And so it is a, um, it's, it's, a, it's about risk for, for many of them and sharing that risk with the integrator. There's also a less of a risk associated with food safety. Um, when you've got a hundred people growing 100 chickens, you have more a greater potential for food safety issues in the marketplace than if you've got one person growing 10,000 chickens. Um, the other thing is is efficiency of scale. Uh, and you know, we used to have a lot of small town hardware dealers, but the box stores, the Lowe's, the Menards. Um, Best Buy and those have taken their place. Uh, is it right? Uh, I, you know, that's the you can argue from sunup to sunset, but that's part of our, our capitalistic society. Um, and the other thing is the people that are marketing, whether it be poultry or pork, they want consistency and the consumer wants consistency. The consumer knows when they go to McDonald's, when they go to Burger King, when they go to wherever, they know what they're gonna get because they've had it there before and it's always the same. But when you, you, know, when you have Harry's Diner, you're not sure what you're gonna get. So it's part of our culture and part of our marketing. Um, 
that we've become accustomed to is is knowing you know what we're going to get when we go to the for, go to a, a food service place and in order for the processor to provide that product they need to have consistency in their production does that hold water it does. I, yeah, I mean, I think those are the problem, I think, is that those are the logical answers that we think of. But this is a very emotional issue and it's it's more difficult to communicate about the, the personal and emotional side of a big operation moving in next door to you. Um, I have a question, Amy, on the livestock friendly designated counties. Do you still go through the same process as what you described in time period? Yeah, so I've heard folks say that a livestock friendly county, it just fast tracks everything and they don't even have to follow all the same rules. Um, having that livestock friendly designation doesn't mean they don't have planning and zoning rules that apply to, that they don't, don't need a conditional use permit for um, a livestock production system but it does mean that they're, um, they've met some requirements of the Department of Ag, and one of those is that those planning and zoning regulations are clear, and they're, if you meet them, you're going, you know, you can get the permit. It's, they're not, um, some of them, it's very much based on, you know, who's, who's voting on that board and making the decision. They can kind of um, interpret them the way they, they want. And so it's more about just getting that consistency um, and, kind of straightforward, here's what we require in this county. And Rick or Rick, you may have other comments to share on that, but I, that's my understanding is that they're, they're just a bit more transparent in what they require. Yeah, it doesn't change, this is Rick Stoll, it doesn't change the uh, uh, local approval process other than that uh, it probably means that the the county commissioners and planning zoning officials are have things in place so that things will go faster, but the pro actual process does not change. This is uh, Jay Stahl up in Ainsworth. Um, what is the range within the state of Nebraska that Lincoln Premium Poultry is actually interested in having one of these poultry operations? I mean. For, for instance, would they be interested in having one in Ainsworth? Would they go that far, or is that too far for them? Yeah, Sheila, you may know a little better than I do, but they've drawn a circle of a certain mile radius around Fremont that they're targeting having all of those within, because, again, for them, it's about the the pullet operation being near the, um, the broiler operations and that being able to supply the chicks that are growing and being able to transport to them to the processing plant efficiently. Um, I don't I'd remember, say, 100 miles? I would right? say 100 miles. Um, how close are you guys to Grand Island? How, how many uh, miles is Ainsworth? Two, two hours north or? It's between two and a half and three hours north of Grand Island. Yeah. Way up there near, near the South Dakota. I would say the hatchery that's in Grand Island, the Hendricks hatchery, is still looking for some um, houses, and they might travel out as far as 125 to 150 miles. So you're a little bit outside the range, Jace, but not 
without, you're not outside the realm of possibilities. And, you know, transporting fertile eggs is less expensive than transporting the actual birds to a processing plant. So it may be possible that you could encourage some producers that are a little bit outside the range to look at having a breeder house that's producing fertile eggs. Uh, at the uh, open house uh, that Lincoln Premium Poultry put on here a couple weeks ago, uh, they suggested that they would like to have their broiler operations within 60 miles, although they recognize that several of their producers were outside that range. That seemed to be their magic number of preference. Yeah, that's that's their economy, but I know when Smart Chicken um, Tecumseh Poultry started, they went all the way over to Iowa to get sufficient houses. So, it, like, again, it's not... It's not the ideal, but it's not beyond the realm of possibilities. Okay, thank you. Getting back to this uh, argument of factory, factory operations, what, what is an animal unit month for a broiler? You know, what's the equivalent? Oh. Um, Rick, you just mentioned what your students came up with. A, one animal unit is usually a beef finisher that's a thousand pounds, and your students equated broilers. What was their 133? They, they used uh, three pounds average weight for broilers, so they came up with 333 broilers would make an uh, equivalent to a beef animal. Okay. And I, I don't know off the top of my head the regulatory quantity um. well I, the reason I ask is you see a lot of horse operations and you know people don't see that seem to have a problem with that I don't know how many horses equals it would take to equal a broiler house but uh, anyway <clears throat> This is Rick Stoll. I'm going to chime back in on the uh, Ainsworth um, possibility or remote possibility. Uh, as I would look at this, getting a broiler house uh, complex that far away would probably be um, not very promising. But uh, if you, if someone was looking at a um, a breeder facility or a layer for the um, uh, genetic lines. Uh, in those situations, they actually want, they usually want those facilities remote from where the rest of the birds are for disease control. That's true. For biosecurity purposes, we like to isolate those houses to prevent any disease transmission. Good point, Rick. Yeah, I know some of our, uh, our main, in the pig industry, pork industry, some of our main sow, uh, um, what is the word I'm trying to think of? Uh, Your primary producing the, the piglets? Yeah, thank you. Um, nursery. Are, are pretty remotely located, and I think there's some actually up in your area. Are those breeder and layer operations, are they less profitable? No, no. 
actually sometimes I'd rather produce eggs because it's more labor intense because it's 24 seven. Usually birds are in there for the entire year. So you don't have the shutdown time periods. So you don't have, if you're raising broilers, you're going to have birds for seven weeks and then two weeks off birds for seven weeks and two weeks off. Whereas layers, you're going to be producing eggs more like 50 weeks a year. So it's a little bit more labor intense, but I think the contracts would be highly desirable to some of the families that are that have that labor available and don't mind that type of commitment. So Sheila, I just I put up there sharing my screen the yeah, um, designation of the different sizes. So it looks like 125 broiler chickens are equal to one beef animal by regulatory standards. Mm -hmm. Yeah, evidently they went with the final body weight, not the average body weight, like Dr. Kelsch's students. Amy, you had brought up that um, LPP has uh, provided potential growers with uh, conversation starters for the neighbors. Are they willing to share that list or or something to that effect? Um, I could ask. I, I haven't asked them that. I know that AFAN put together sort of that uh, community outreach kind of a, a toolkit for talking to the public, but I don't know that they ever went public with that. But I kind of wonder if some of those talking points were adopted by Lincoln Premium Poultry. So I can ask Willow if, if those are available to share and um, and get those out to folks if, if they do exist or if they do, um, if they are willing to share those with us. Yeah. Um, and Kristen Hassebrook from AFAN will be doing a presentation webinar with us on November 13th. And hers is on communicating with, with the, the public. public. Yeah. yeah. Good. All right, so I think we better wrap this up. It's almost noon and I have to head out to a seminar. Um, great job, Amy, thank you. Yep, thank you. Meet again next week and glad to see the attendance from um, a diverse group of educators from across the state. Again, thank you very much and we'll go ahead and stop recording. Okay, bye.